going to be doing each week is we really want to be able to help you get uh, more into the Bible. And so every, after every sermon, you type in that number, and then you're going to get a Bible reading plan for the next for five out of the next seven days. And so we really want to encourage all of you, if we can be in that Bible reading plan together, and then in our D groups, we're going to be discussing those same things. And so I think this is really going to help us dive into God's Word. We are in the middle of a series called Conflict. And uh, it's because we enjoy light and easy topics in our church. And so we went from tensions into conflict. I don't know what we're going to do next, but it's going to be death or something. <laughs> but uh, uh, we are looking at conflict. And uh, here's, I, I'd like to kind of describe what a conflict is. And you can see on the screen, it's when uh, two kingdoms come into conflict with one another, two kingdoms of self. So you can see that there's two little castles and they're representing your own uh, kingdom or your own life. And what happens in conflict is you bump into somebody else's little kingdom. And those kingdoms aren't exactly getting along together. You have different values or different beliefs or different opinions. And so when those two kingdoms clash, that creates conflict. So you get it? It's your ideas, your opinions, your beliefs, your behavior comes into conflict with somebody else's ideas, behavior, etc. James chapter 4 verse 1 talks about this, that why do we have quarrels among us? It's when we have certain desires or opinions that aren't getting met, aren't getting agreed with, and so those clash with other people. Uh, imagine when we, in our Bible school, which happens just after the service, we talk about this idea of, uh, of two hands pushing against one another, and that it's the harder we push, the more resistance that gets created from the other person. And so the harder we push for our agenda and our opinions and what we think we should do, we get more and more resistance in return. So how do we resolve or at least reduce a conflict? It's when we lay down our kingdom and promote God's. So the way that you get out of a conflict is you say, you know what? Uh, what I believe, what I think, what my opinions are, that's not the most important thing going on here. There's something bigger than me in this place and it's God's kingdom. And since God's kingdom is a kingdom of love, as we promote what he stands for, what he believes in, what he values, that often reduces that tension, and then we can find ourselves living in harmony with other people. Galatians 2.20 talks about us being crucified or dying to ourselves, to our opinions and ideas, and living by faith in God instead. So if you find yourself in conflict, it's probably because your ideas are bumping up against someone else's and somebody needs to give. And the way that we give isn't just by kind of rolling over and doing whatever somebody else wants, but it's actually taking up God's concerns and God's opinions and letting that be the thing that guides the moment. Now, what we turn to today is what happens if they resist us trying to be loving and kind and and stand for the things that God would stand for. What happens when they resist the values of God's kingdom? We have something called persecution. 
And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Persecution is when we're standing for the things of God as best as we know how, and someone else's kingdom of self is bumping up against that and saying, hey, I don't agree with those things, I don't stand for those things, and I resent you for standing for them as well. I remember uh, I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. And so I remember persecution, even at a young age. Uh, Often when you first become a Christian, you have lots of opinions, and the world is very black and white, and then you think you're totally right and everybody else is wrong. So I was one of those guys. And uh, didn't quite get the subtleties of life just then. And so I remember I was out playing uh, uh, ball hockey. I think that's what we did every day after school. And so I'm out playing ball hockey. And uh, there was another guy that we were playing with. And I knew that he went to church. And so I assumed that everybody who went to church was a Christian back then. And so he did something that was rude or obnoxious. I don't remember what it was. And what came out of my mouth, and I still regret it to this day, is I said to him, that's not the Christian thing to do. Isn't that great? Well, I heard that little statement a hundred times afterwards. Because any time I did something that wasn't very great, I had this guy and everybody else going, Greg, that's not the Christian thing to do. Um, And so I did not enjoy that very much. But I was trying to stand up for God. I was trying to do the right thing. And the response wasn't great. Uh, When I became a Christian, my life dramatically changed. I love God so much. And so I told all of my friends about Jesus. And I went from being a very popular kid at school to being the kid who sits alone in the classroom drawing. I became a very good drawer. Uh, But it's only because uh, nobody would hang out with me anymore. All my friends deserted me uh, within the first year of me becoming a Christian. And I remember thinking, all right, so this is what it's like to be a Christian. You lose all of your friends, you get mocked, you're lonely. I hope you're worth it. And uh, 40 plus years later, I can say that he is. But there's a, uh, a chapter passage in scripture that talks about when the church was kind of first established after Jesus died and rose again, there's a, a, a record of the first kind of wave of persecution that came against the church. And it was much more drastic than mine. And here's how it's written in Acts chapter 5. It says, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. So this is the religious leaders of the day and they are questioning this new religion that's being promoted. Uh, It was first called the way, but we've come to know it as Christianity. And so they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, this name of Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So you can see them bumping up against Jesus' kingdom. And say, hey, we don't like what you're doing. You're making us feel bad, and we don't like that very much. And so you need to stop this. We're not guilty. We don't have any problems. You have the problems. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. 
we have a new king, and we're part of the kingdom of God. And you can oppress us and persecute us and disagree with us, but we have to obey our new king. We can't obey you. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged, beaten. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, and listen to this, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then it says in the very next verse that they went out preaching just as strongly as they did before they got beaten. Uh, That's our family. The reason why you and I are here today is because of people like this who considered it to be an honor to be beaten for the name of Jesus. And it's why the church grew by the power of the Spirit. Now, there are two sources of conflict. The first source of conflict is when we do wrong things, our selfishness. So if you have your little kingdom of self and you're only living for yourself, eventually uh, your selfishness is going to cause conflict with the people around you. You can imagine how that's true. Uh, People are only going to put up with your self-centeredness for so long and it's going to cause some problems. much of the conflict that we experience in our life is really due to our own sinful or self-centered behavior. But what we see in this passage is the second source of conflict, and it's the exact opposite. Instead of us doing something wrong, we're actually trying to do something right. And as we do something right, now we have a whole other kind of conflict. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, sorry, chapter 2, this is what it says. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He did nothing wrong. He's not living for the kingdom of self. Was found in his mouth. When he hurled, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. So what we want to look at this afternoon then is how do we deal with the second source of conflict? The first source, the way that we deal with that, is we actually lay down our selfishness. And we say, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta live according to a higher rule, according to the love of God and what, what is right and true and loving in God's kingdom. But now we're trying to do the right thing. And now how do we deal with persecution and have people pushing against us when we're trying to do the right thing. And here's the answer, and we're going to unpack this, and it's to honor God. We see in verse 29 of Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than human beings. I know that I'm upsetting you. I know that you don't agree with what I'm saying, how I'm behaving. I have to obey God. I have to honor him over you. So I'm not going to apologize. I have nothing to apologize for. I'm trying to do the right thing. 
And then it says that they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. Now, I think that uh, honor redeems suffering. I think it redeems suffering. It turns what uh, we typically want to avoid into something that becomes a moment of honoring God. It becomes something uh, noble and righteous and valuable. You know, uh, think about how if you want to love somebody, what do you do? You suffer for them. You are going to spend some money on them. You're going to sacrifice some time. You're going to, it's a form of suffering. And so uh, the more that you would love somebody, the more that you want to express that, the more costly that love is going to become. And so in the widest definition of the word, it's a form of suffering. So those of you who are getting engaged, and uh, you're going to buy a ring, you're, uh, I, just a little heads up, guys, you know, don't go to Walmart. It's, it's not going to wow them. It's, look, honey, it was on sale at Walmart. I got such a good deal. Aren't you happy with how much money I saved for us today? Women, how'd you like that? Oh, thank you, honey. I can't believe it was on sale. No, it's, show me something. How much am I worth to you? Suffer for me a little bit. And so, uh, what if suffering moved from being something that we avoided to something that would demonstrate our deep, deep love for the living God. In that instead of saying, oh man, I, you know, you said that uh, we should live at peace with people and, and so I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live at peace with everybody and I'm just going to try to be a really good person and I don't want to rock the boat. And then Jesus says, you know, is this a Walmart love for me? Do you, would, you not, would you not suffer for me? I suffered for you. I gave the greatest price I could pay. And in that, I left you an example that you would suffer for me. And in that, we would declare our love for one another. So I, I pledged my love and declared my love to you by being tortured and dying on a cross. And if there's any value of that, I would expect something quite similar from you. And so I become... Uh, concerned about the kind of Christianity that we would live 
that wouldn't have suffering be a part of it. And so I, I listen, I think, and I, I think that you would agree with this. What is the primary, um, uh, what's the primary complaint that people have of God? It's the primary complaint, I think. Why is there suffering? Right? Why is there suffering? And in God's mind, there's something worse than suffering. But I think in our mind, there is nothing worse than suffering. In his mind, it would be wasted suffering. Suffering for the kingdom of self, just to be selfish. There's no honor in that. But if we would take a difficult situation, if we would speak about Jesus in clear ways, if we would lay down our life for our neighbor, he would say, that's, you're honoring me. That's noble. Thank you. And as it says in, uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, you'll receive a reward. So what if our aversion to suffering is really an aversion to honoring the name of Jesus? The first thing that honoring does then is it redeems suffering. It makes it a noble moment, something worthwhile. The second thing that it does is it directs our reaction. It, it enables us to choose a better response. I, uh, I remember a few years ago, we were reaching out to somebody and, uh, and really, you know, sought to be kind and generous and, and uh, did all that we, can, we could to lay down our life for this person. And I remember their response um, because we, we disagreed with uh, something of their behavior. And uh, I'm not often cussed out, but this was impressive. <laughs> I have not been called that many foul names without a breath in between uh, for a very long time. And in that moment, uh, I got to honor God in my response. And so I couldn't blame, really wanted to, couldn't attack back, couldn't be in self-pity, self-righteousness. Do you know how hard, do you know all I've done for you? All I can do is say, I'm sorry that you feel that way, and this is the best way that I know to love you right now. Honor. Uh, becomes a primary motivator for not to take things personally, for not to compromise. Because what motivated me to do what I just did that you don't agree with or like, makes you feel guilty, or what motivated me to do that is also what's gonna motivate me right now to respond to you in a way 
that isn't about my kingdom and what I want and what I think is best for me. I'm still going to stay honoring him. I would venture to say that without a motive of honor, um, number one is you will avoid suffering. But number two is that any time there is an offense against you, you will not deal with it in an honorable way. You will make it about you. I do it all the time. Here's the point, is that everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. I, uh, I, I listen to, because uh, I find it fascinating, because I see suffering as a sign of honor. So I'm looking for what people honor. And uh, I think about, uh, what is it called? Uh, tough mutter, is that what it is? Uh, it looks dirty. Um, but, you know, some people are really into that. That's great. You know, go do that. And uh, as far as I can tell, because I watched the YouTube clip, uh, looks like you're suffering. <laughs> and it looks like you paid money for that, <laughs> which is kind of a, you know, a double suffering thing. <laughs> and, uh, and then you post, because I've seen it, you post your clips of you suffering online. Because you want us to know how much you've suffered. That's great. I, I, I'm sure I'd post it if I suffered that much. Um, uh, so we all suffer. We all do. And the only question is, what are we suffering for? And so you and I, so my thing isn't the Tough Mudder thing, but I'm, uh, you know, I like mountain biking. And, uh, you know, I'll tell Debbie, I'll do a really hard climb. I like climbing. I'll do a really hard climb. And I am, you know, anaerobic. I am gasping for air. And I'll tell Debbie, you know, oh, I did a really hard climb. She's like, why? <laughs> I'm like, why are you doing that? No, don't you get it? Like, it was really hard, and I, I did it in a record time. Okay. Uh, who am I, who am I honoring in that moment? Me. I like honoring me. I think there's not enough of us doing that. And so, uh, so, you know, I, I, I just thought I'd make up for it and honor, honor me a little bit. I suffered for me. I really did. Felt really good about it. I, uh, I wonder sometimes if our problem isn't suffering. Our problem is who we want to suffer for. That's what I'm wondering. And I'm wondering if we consider it sometimes, I know I do, that sometimes we consider it an offense that Christ would ask us to suffer for him be persecuted for him, to be misunderstood. If we are suffering for our namesake, it's like, yeah, I'll post that. If we're suffering for God's namesake, what do we do sometimes? We say, 
you're not fair. I prayed and you let me down. I tried to stand up for you at work and I got mocked. That's not fair. Do you know how hard that was for me? Do you know how stupid I looked? I mean, we don't have physical suffering here, so I can't even use those references. But our soul, something's attacked. I get that. I know how that feels. And we're offended by it. And I think that God looks and he says, I'm sorry, I thought you were honoring me. I thought that that's what's going on. And it was, it was pleasing to me. Just like I was pleased to die for you. I was pleased that you would suffer for me. To honor my name in a place that does not honor my name. So is suffering for Jesus' name an honor or is it an offense? The good news is that suffering for Jesus does two things. The first thing that it does is it cleanses our hearts. The first thing that suffering does, if you would like to become a righteous person, I highly recommend uh, suffering for him. Because what it does is it cleanses your heart of the kingdom of self. In a way that few other things do. Uh, when I try to do a good thing and it's not appreciated, my pride wells up inside of me. It's like, how dare it? I tried to be good and you returned it with bad. So you're bad because I was trying to be good. And my, my kingdom of self wants to rise up, reconstruct itself and attack that other kingdom of self. And one of the most effective ways that I know of to defeat that self-centered kingdom in my heart is to honor my king, my new king, and to suffer for him. And as I suffer for him, what falls away is my pride, my self-centeredness, my opinions, my self-pity, my self-righteousness. All those things fall away. I'm cleansed from my flesh. Not by working on my flesh, but by honoring my king. There is a, uh, there is a, a, there is a concern that I have um, uh, about why we go for counseling. And I, I, I love going for counseling. I've gone many times. I'll go again. I really will. I'm not bashing counseling, but I am questioning something. Because I listen to myself and I listen to others describe uh, why they would go. And they think that the road to freedom is through introspection. And I'm not sure of that. I think the road to freedom is by finding a better king to honor with my life. 
And as I set about to honor this new king, I don't have time to be personally wounded as much because there's something else I'm thinking about, something else that's motivating me. And it's not self-comfort. It's bringing honor to his name. I, uh, uh, you know, my family will tell you, and if you know me at all, I'm fairly stoic. You know, the joke is I cry semi-annually. And, uh, you know, I, if you tell a joke, I'll go, <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do one of these, and I'm just killing myself laughing. I go, <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> uh, but I'm not, a, I'm not a demonstrative guy. But here's something that you might not know. I am shockingly moody. I go through rapid, intense, frequent mood swings every day. <laughs> no offense, but we knew that. Um, uh, but you might not, but you might not have known it about me. Yeah. And. Uh, Somebody says something, and I'm quickly insulted. Uh, somebody will disagree with something that I say, and I question whether I'm a Christian. A prayer doesn't get answered, and I'm angry. Like, it's just, ah, and then something goes my way, and Jesus is good, you know? Like, really? 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 so superficial. It's really embarrassing to tell you this. <clears throat> so what gets me out of that? What gets me out of an emotional roller coaster that's mostly defined by the kingdom of self and how things are revolving around me? How am I going to get rid of that? Should I speak to a counselor and say, I get depressed often and I get anxious often. And they'll say, where does that come from? And you know what I'll tell them? I'll lie. I'll tell them, it came from my parents. Or something. Or when I was 11, when I became a Christian, I was mocked. No. It comes from the kingdom of self being totally insulted when everybody doesn't revolve around me, including God. That's what's really going on. But that doesn't sell well, and I don't enjoy that inside. <laughs> and so I'm going to blame it on my parents or my circumstances. But I love what it says in this passage. Um, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to make us guilty. I hate that. I want to feel guilty. So how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this uh, emotional roller coaster that at least is in my head that might not be for you to see is to find a new king to honor. And instead of any given moment being about how this king is being affected, I have a new king that I'm concerned more about his name and his reputation and what he's thinking about this moment. And as my focus 
shifts off of me and how the world is impacting me and on to him and honoring his name, I get set free from my emotional roller coaster without focusing on that. What if the Lordship of Christ is a far more effective intervention than going into my past and having you feel bad for me? The good news is that suffering for Jesus cleanses our hearts of the kingdom of self. Now, I understand that there are some emotions that are uh, chemically um, induced. I understand that the circumstances around us are really difficult, and we do have emotional reactions to those things, and that's legitimate. I understand that, and I'm not trying to belittle that in any way. But what I am suggesting is that perhaps a way out of those places is not so much about introspection, but perhaps more about a movement of our allegiance from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. The second thing that the good news of our suffering is that it convicts other people's hearts. It convicts other people's hearts. I remember uh, uh, a while ago we had a uh, drug addict living with us. And uh, we, we came our car and, and bought him tools and he was clean, lived with us for about a year. And I uh, spent lots of time with him. Really great guy. Man, I enjoyed him very, very much. And the uh, first time he gets a paycheck, he shoots up. I think he said, you know, 12 times, 16 times. Came home higher than a kite. And uh, did what any manly man would do. I ran outside with my family and phoned the police. And they took him away. He, uh, he came back the next day. He broke into our house. Came back the next day, sobbing and crying and saying, I'm so sorry. And I just looked at him with a blank face. I don't care how much you're crying. Uh, Debbie comes home with boxes to move him out. And as she sees him, she hears God say, my son's come home again. And uh, the first thing that went through her head uh, is, uh, he's your son. <laughs> no, my son. Anyways, I thought similarly. And, uh, and we, uh, we let him stay again. Next paycheck shoots up again. This time we change the locks on our house. He phones us from a nearby hotel that he's staying at and says, because of you, I'm going to kill myself tonight. It's all your fault. I thought you were Christians, and this is what you do to people who are struggling with addiction? That was his little way of saying thank you. Uh, you can tell that in moments like that, your hearts get purified, right? Because you go, who is this really about? Should I really be insulted right now? So you work that through. Uh, we told him you still can't come back. He would show up drunk on our back porch, begging. We would close the door on him. Wow, that was hard. 
And then we hear from him. How many years later? Six years later. And he says, uh, he says, Greg, I just, uh, you know, I, you don't even have to take this phone call because of how I treated you. You don't even have to take this phone call. But if I could just have a few minutes of your time. Uh, I just want to tell you what's happened in the last six years. I went back on the streets again, back to what I was doing before I came into your home. But he says, there's one thing that I could not shake while I was back on the streets. And that's the love of God that I experienced in your home. I could not shake that. And I want you to know I've been clean now for three years. He says, I'm actually house-sitting, a pastor's house. And uh, I just want to thank you and your wife for the love of God that you demonstrated. It says uh, in Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. What's that burning coals? It's conviction. It's conviction. Here's what I love, and this is what we'll end with. Here's what I love about the spiritual climate in our city. I was talking with some new friends uh, just uh, uh, yesterday about what it was like to be a Christian in the 1970s. If you were a Christian then and you told somebody who doesn't know Jesus, Jesus loves you and has died for your sins, would you like to receive him as your Lord and Savior today? They would say, yeah, that sounds excellent. That doesn't happen quite so much these days. Here's what I love about this. The church needs to rise up and be the church and suffer for his namesake these days in a way that we didn't need to in the 70s. It wasn't that hard. And as we suffer for his namesake, and as we read about the apostles rejoicing that we're suffering for his namesake, we are creating space for the kingdom of God to come to earth, convict people of their sin, not because we shouted at them, but because we died for them. Not because we're more right, it's because we laid down our life and listened and cared, and it cost us something for the name of our king. Maybe this is a hard message, I don't know. I think it's a good news message. Because I've been thinking of how am I going to demonstrate my love for my Father, my Lord and Savior. And that I just get to suffer a bit and he's honored? I can do that. How am I going to show the world the power of the love of God? I just crucify my pride again? Well, that's good for me and for them. This looks like a win-win as far as I can tell. And so what if this is a season in the church where your heavenly father is asking you a question? Do you love me? Do you love me? I know I love you. I've demonstrated that. But do you love me? 
And if you do, feed my sheep. Honor my name. Suffer for me some. I'll be just. I'll be sure to reward you. But it's going to be way better than that. You will have been delivered from the kingdom of self. And you will have ushered in to moments the kingdom of God, bringing conviction of sin, not because you were self-righteous, but because you loved from the heart. So in closing, I don't know if it's a worship team or two people can come up, but you can start to come up. But uh, are you afraid of persecution? Are you afraid of being misunderstood? Are you afraid of being lonely? Are you afraid of people being mad at you? I remember one of the, uh, I was down in Texas just, uh, uh, I guess, a year or two ago. And uh, I was picketed. I'd never been picketed before. This was a new experience. And so uh, I was speaking on love, sex, and relationships. And there were these people outside angry, just angry at, uh, at what we were doing. And uh, so I look for the head dude. And uh, I go, hey, I'm the guy <laughs> that you don't like very much right now. I have this big, you know, smile on my face. I'm the guy who's going to be in there in a minute. I just want to introduce myself to you. Oh, is that who you? I go, yeah, I'm, I'm him. Uh, tell me, what are we doing? Well, the way that you did this, boy, that's helpful feedback. Is there anything else that we're doing wrong? No, that's all I can think of. Well, that's really helpful. Would you mind coming in, figuring out what else I'm doing wrong, and let me know afterwards? He says, well, no, I can't. I, I got to get home. I got to pick up my kid. <laughs> I didn't know pick your... Anyways, so I got to pick up... I go, okay, but anytime you want to give me constructive feedback, that would be invaluable to me. And I respect you for standing for the things that you hold dear to your heart. Thank you so much. And he didn't know what to do with that. And I got to demonstrate the love of God and lay down my pride for a minute about being right. And I got to serve somebody who thought we were enemies. Are you afraid? Are you afraid of persecution? It's not that bad. The kingdom of self is way worse even though it appears pleasurable. Are you afraid of persecution? Then here is my exhortation to you today. Honor him. Honor the name, the name of Jesus. And set about in your workplace, in your homes, to honor his name. The name. Honor that name. And I can guarantee that uh, suffering will be transformed and you will be liberated as the kingdom of God is ushered to earth. Father, I thank you so much that you give us such simple ways to be delivered, such simple ways to be set free. I thank you for that. And I pray for my friends here today that you would deliver us from the kingdom of self you would usher in your kingdom where you're king and we are not.
would you settle in our hearts today that we would decide to honor your name above our own. We're happy to work up a sweat. We're happy to work out. And that has a bit of benefit, the Bible says. But we want to honor your name. We want to suffer for you. And we would count it a privilege. We would rejoice along with the apostles that we've suffered for a better name. Almighty God, our loving Father, set us free today by embracing suffering and seeing the joy that is embedded in those places. Thank you, dear Father.